From the beginning, it tells us, it's no new creation, this whole thing of Jesus coming and dying and being buried and resurrecting and ascending back into heaven. It was not a new thought. It was not an afterthought. It was from the beginning of the ages, this mystery in Jesus Christ that both the Jews and the Gentiles would be one under Christ through the church has been from the beginning of the ages. It was hidden in God who created all things through Christ. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13. Last week we're looking at the mystery of Christ. This week we're looking at the fellowship of the mystery. But verse 10 was really interesting to me because it says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers which are in the heavenly places. So the manifold wisdom, speaking about something that is many-sided. Think about going out to a field. You see a, a field that's covered with wildflowers, but not just one brand of wildflowers, but one that's just multicolored. And how beautiful that is. The multifacets of God, the many-sided manifold wisdoms of God. There's all these different angles of the wisdom of God is how that word is to be understood for us. But it's made known by the church. So the method by which God displays his manifold wisdom is through the church. But who's he showing it to? He's showing it to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. Do you realize that you are on display to the angels and to the demons to understand, to help them understand the multifaceted wisdom of God? Although they are superior to us in so many ways, they are not superior to God. And they have been spending their lives, although their lives are much longer than ours, trying to understand the manifold wisdom of God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we read this, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Now, we could have read that same thing from our perspective. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. But Paul inserts in there that he was also seen by the angels. That 
Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh, the angels were watching the manifold wisdom of God being unveiled through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension back into heaven. The whole thing that God was doing through his son, the angels were watching it. Pretty cool, huh? They were looking into these things. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 12, to them, meaning the prophets, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So the prophets were foretelling of Jesus Christ. Now the gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel of grace, this dispensation of grace is being preached to us, the Gentiles, Paul is saying, to us, the Jews, those who have become believers. Peter also tags on there things which the angels desire to look into. They're curious about our salvation. God's holy messengers, they prophesied of Jesus' coming. They announced his birth. They bring aid to the church in times of need. They rejoice when someone is saved. They will sing a new song in heaven. They will praise by the thousands. Revelation tells us by 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands of thousands when Jesus takes the scroll from the hand of his father and breaks its seven seals. But here we find that they're looking into our salvation. They're trying themselves to understand the manifold wisdom of God. We are on display to the angels, to the demons, to the principalities, to the powers of the heavenly places. God is showing forth his grace through us, even to the heavenly witnesses. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This purpose, it means something that is set forth. It's a word that can mean a showbread. You know, in the Old Testament, they would take the 12 loaves of bread. Every week, the priest would come in and change out the loaves of bread. 12 loaves to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They were on show before the Lord. They're called the showbread, the bread of presence. But they're set forth. And so what God has purposed, what he has put forth in show, what he has planned in advance, it's according to God's eternal purpose. That, as Paul said here, from the beginning of the ages had been hidden with God, but now revealed to us. But they're part of God's purposes. I like this verse in Romans eight twenty eight, especially when things don't work out well. Where Paul says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What purpose? Well, the plan of salvation, the work that he not only has planned out for the salvation of all mankind, and that is when I say that, that salvation is available to all mankind. We know that not all mankind will believe, but especially to those of us who do believe, his purpose is being worked out in our lives. Second Timothy 1.9 tells us, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Again, 
the church is not a new creation, not a new idea of God. It was set in motion before time began. If we think about time, we have to go back to Genesis when God created the sun and the moon and the stars for seasons, for times, because they are what? They're our clock. As our earth revolves around the sun and and we're able to measure time because of that. But before time began, before there was a sun, before there was a moon, before there was the stars, we've been called, we've been saved according to His own purpose, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God also has not only had his eternal purpose, but he's accomplished these things through Christ. That word accomplished um, simply means to make. It means as in creation or to do something, that you either create something or you do something, but they're being accomplished in Christ. And so God, in reference to the redemption of mankind, he has accomplished his purposes through Christ Jesus. I went into uh, some of the different translations of the Bible to help me better understand, and I believe to help us better understand. Verse 11, which reads in the New King James, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The King James Bible says practically the very same thing. The Holman Christian Standard Bible reads this way. This is according to the purpose of the ages, which he made in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. New American Standard Bible and the Revised Version says this. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Amplified Bible. This is in accordance with the terms of the eternal and timeless purpose which he has realized and carried into effect in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. The complete Jewish Bible, because it has the New Testament in it. That's why they call it that. It reads this. This accords with God's age-old purpose accomplished in the Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. That God's purposes, everything is hinged off of Christ. God, before time began, has purposed that Christ would be our Savior. Jesus came, He lived, He died, He was buried, He rose from the grave, He ascended into heaven. And now we look back to that work, but everything being hinged off of Christ, it has been accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. So as a result of our salvation, we have boldness and access. Do you have confidence when you pray? Can you say that you have confidence 100% of the time, every time you pray? If you lack confidence, it's probably in yourself, right? It's probably you're looking at maybe something that you have done and God, I have no right. I have no, and you're probably right. We have no rights apart from the grace of God working in our lives. But this is something hard for me to comprehend, but I think it's something that we need to comprehend, that because of Jesus Christ's work in our lives, we can have boldness. We have access 
we can, because of this boldness, well, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.16, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, his blood that affords us the forgiveness of sin, that we have access, that we have boldness, that we can come before our Lord with confidence through faith in him. It's all about Jesus still, but we can have the confidence that Christ is going to work in our behalf. I was reading yesterday from Andrew Murray. He died, I believe, in 1918, but he's, he wrote great books, especially as he got older. He died when he was 89 years old. And uh, he was writing up to the time of his death, but he really got into the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a sanctification of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He was saying in the book, which is called Absolute Surrender, he said, even though you can't comprehend it to understand what it means to be absolutely surrendered to God's will in your life, he says, pray it anyways and tell the Lord, I don't understand it but I'm going to pray it to you. I want to be absolutely surrendered to your will. And see, I think in this way, in that kind of mindset, we can come to the Lord in boldness. We can come because we have access through Jesus Christ, but we can have the boldness of the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I am not worthy. I know I'm not worthy, but I am going to rely upon what your word has said that you have given to me. And I want to pray that you would have those things for my life and that you would work that change in my life. Not in the boldness of, hey, look at me. I'm the big Christian here. But in the boldness of humility, we stand before our Lord. We have this boldness that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We have this access. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we have this confidence. Hebrews ten nineteen through 22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which... He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can have this confidence, this assurance. And that's why I read that verse, because the word for confidence is the same word that's translated as assurance in verse 22 there. Of Hebrews 10. We have this assurance because we've been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. It has nothing to do with us, this boldness that we have in Christ. But I want to encourage you today, before I move on to the very last verse, may we dare to come boldly before the throne of grace. May we dare to begin to pray in such a way that we not only pray for God's help, but we pray believing that God's going to work. I think we fail so often because we pray as if God doesn't hear. We pray as if God's not going to answer. We pray as if there is no hope. But the blood of Jesus Christ has afforded 
all the things necessary for us to come boldly with confidence, to have access before the Father, to pray and to expect that He will answer. He may not answer the way you want, but He answers. And He may not answer in the timing that you want, but He will answer. But can we have the confidence that Paul is referring to here? Can we have the boldness? I will admit to you that I don't always, I would say percentage-wise, that I'm on the losing side of that. But I know what Scripture says should be. And as Andrew Murray wrote, I want to have that assurance. I want to pray Maybe in the weakness of my faith, but pray, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know it, but I'm going to pray it to you anyways and ask that you would work. Maybe it's not the greatest boldness. But I believe what happens as we begin to pray with confidence, confidence that God hears our prayers, not only hears them, but he begins to answer them. And we begin to see the answers of those prayers. When you come back to pray again, you gain confidence. You gain boldness. You gain courage to ask, well, Lord, if you did this for me here, I'm going to step it up a little. I'm going to ask that you do this now. I wasn't sure if you'd do this for me. I thought that was a big one, but I'm going to step it up. I want to watch you work even more so. And as long as we stay in line of the Holy Spirit and the vision of God's work in our lives and, and not get out of line and not get cocky and not get prideful, I believe that we can have such boldness to pray in such ways. Through faith in Jesus Christ, it's always hinging on Christ. In verse 13, Paul closes out this parathetical section saying, Therefore, I asked you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So Paul closes. He says, we have access to God, so don't get bummed because I'm in a prison in Rome right now. This prison is working out for your glory. Paul wrote 13 epistles, I believe, partly because God shut him down for like five years of his life. So Paul, I'm just going to have you sit around for five years, and you're going to get bored. But I'm going to allow them to give you pen and paper, and you're going to begin to write for me. I think John received the book of Revelation. What we have, it tells us there in the beginning of the book of Revelation that he was on the Isle of Patmos, that God shut him down. He was not serving. He was not doing ministry as he was before, but he was sitting on a remote island like in the United States we would refer to like Alcatraz or something. He was a prisoner of Rome on a barren island, out in the Mediterranean Sea, and God gave him a vision that became to us the book of Revelation. But sometimes God has to shut us down. I often wonder how long I would have tried to work in the world as a brick mason and pastor at the same time if I hadn't have blown my back out and got disabled. I, they gave me a 30% disability. I can work, I can do things, it hurts, and I don't last as long as I used to. <laughs> and now that I get older, I think that's just part of age, right? It just comes with the territory. But I was in my 30s when that happened. The Lord shut me down. And I had no choice. 
something that a pastor who is now pastoring out in California at the time he was in Kentucky, but someone that I've known went through the school of ministry, he used to be a police officer in California somewhere and um, obviously somewhere by the ocean because he was chasing somebody down and they jumped into a boat. He jumped in after them and he wrecked his back in that jump and he got disabled. And he functions pretty decently, but he got disabled. He couldn't do his job anymore. And he told me once, he said, God calls us all in different ways. You know, God can take our disability and he can open up a whole new door of ministry. But I wonder at times if I was still capable to do the things that I could do earlier on in my life. You know, there have been times through the history of the last 12 years of this fellowship where it's been tight for this church to pay my salary and to pay the bills. And there have been times where I've threatened only to Lily, I'm going to have to go get a job. You guys don't hear that threat, but I've had those threats before. I'm going to, I'm going to have to find a job. I mean, this, we can't support it. And it never hit me more stronger, or strongly, I should say, when Lily was with cancer. I just felt bad that um, she had to work through all that treatment, that I couldn't support her outright and let her just heal. You know, God works in ways that sometimes we don't understand, sometimes we don't like. And I believe God had to shut Paul down. His tribulations, he said, it's for your glory. Perhaps my bad back for your glory that I'm able to preach. I'm glad that it's settled down. I don't have nearly as bad back problems as I used to, but if I push it, it'll remind me very quick. But I believe God works in such ways. He did it in Paul. And Paul said, don't be troubled. Don't lose heart in my tribulations. Hey, it's for your glory. And then he's going to unveil to us. It's going to be in two weeks, but he's going to unveil this wonderful prayer. It's the second prayer that we find in the book of Ephesians. And I've already marked out without even really doing the study, but I have been through this before. And I have in my notes in my Bible six things that Paul prayed for the church, that he prayed for us. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at those six things. So we've been in this parenthetical sections. He's put parentheses in this section where he's talked about the mystery of Christ, the fellowship of the mystery, this things that the Lord has blessed us with. Paul, who saw himself as less than least of all the saints, he had been entrusted to the unsearchable riches of Christ, which I say today that now we have been entrusted with these same unsearchable riches. And so we also are to be giving out those riches to others through our lives and through living for Christ. They've been hidden in the past ages, but they've now been revealed to us. We are to be a living testimony of, to God's work, not only to people around us, but realize, I don't know if I like this, but the angels are watching. The demons are watching. The powers and principalities of heaven has been accomplished. Everything through Christ Jesus, his purposes being worked out in our lives. And in that sense, we have boldness and access and confidence to come in faith in Jesus Christ. It's because of faith. Paul said, don't lose heart. And I want to say to you today, don't lose heart. Just come to the Lord with the boldness and access that we have been assured of.
because of faith in Jesus Christ and ask him to do the work that he desires to do. Just lay out yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't like it where my life is. To me, it's a mess, but I want you to do a work that only you can do and ask him to do that work. Father, I pray that you would be with us, that you'd bless us. Thank you so much that you've been with us today. Thank you for this wonderful testimony in your word. And ask, Lord, that we would come to understand and know the unsearchable riches of Christ. I know we won't know everything, but Lord, help us to search out what we can know. Help us to dig through the word of God. Help us to see and to look at the testimony of nature of this world, of the witness that you have set before us. And Lord, help us to be the witness that you desire us to be because principalities and powers are watching. And Lord, give us the boldness. Give us the access. The access is already there, but Lord, we lack boldness so often. Help us by faith come before your throne boldly because of the work that, Lord, you have done in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. We'll be right back. 